Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. I want to welcome you to week two of a series that we started last weekend. It's out of the book of Philippians. So right away, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter two. I want to welcome those watching online as well as those at 1230 that are making room and making space for others. We've entitled this series, Happy. And there may be some of you who might say, well, that's a little trivial or is that something that is just a fleeting feeling? You may even say, is that something that you should actually name a series? Is God into that? But the truth is, if you take the book of Philippians, now I always preach from the Bible because I know that the Bible has the words of life. The Bible is a living, eternal document with not just words on a page, but words that help confront our cultural viewpoints, our feelings, our thought processes, and help us to find truth and find the person of Jesus Christ. And so it's alive. The Bible's alive, and I know you want to learn more about it. You want to know what God thinks. You say, Pastor Jeff, when you hit a bump in the road, when you hit a problem, when you're trying to figure something out, or you're facing something that could rob your joy, what do you do? Well, I know what I think. And with the information superhighway, it's easy to find out what everybody else thinks. But I want to know what God thinks. I want to know God's perspective, and the way to know God's perspective is he's given it to us through his word. And so there are times throughout our, our times together that I'll take a book of the Bible and we'll just focus on it and unpack it. And last week we looked at Philippians chapter 1. This week we're going to talk more about the theme of this book, and that is joy. And the reason I named the series Happy is because really it's just more accessible and it's really a more common term for us. Joy is something that we're like, man, how do you obtain that? And we're going to unpack this joy understanding, but really we might phrase it better as we desire to be happy. And Jesus actually used the word makaros in one of his sermons, which is better translated happy. So God wants us to have a deep fulfillment a happiness and really a joy that Paul is showing us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that's bigger than our circumstances, that's bigger than whatever we're facing. In fact, Paul's writing this from a place of prison and he himself is actually showing us that the prison walls can imprison this joy and this happiness and this fulfillment. You know, I began to think, I always just get emotional at these baptisms, just, I, I hope you can understand when dads are stepping out and taking a stand for Jesus Christ, that's a miracle, man. That is like the dead being raised when you see moms and children and people from other faiths that ingrain them when they step out and say, I'm following Jesus. Those are miracles, those are miracles, friends, and we're in the middle of watching it happen. And the Bible says, in Luke chapter 15, Jesus says that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. I don't know how you get more rejoicing in heaven. 
You know, it's, it's perfect in heaven. I don't even know how you get more rejoicing. It's like there's no sin, there's no sickness, and everything's perfect, and Jesus is there, so I don't know. That's mind-blowing. That's like, you know, you send the emoticon, you know, that has the little, little, little smile with your cheeks kind of rosy. That means you're doing good. You know, it's like, well, I'm kind of happy. You know, and then you have the ha, and then the other day someone sent me the confetti. Come on, it's like they hijacked my phone. I'm like, whoa, 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 what happened? You know, pra pa there's confetti in heaven today, friends. There's confetti in heaven because of people who are confessing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I love how they're in small groups together and they've been taking steps and this is what church is all about. It's what it's all about. We're talking about this happy idea, this joy idea that Paul's teaching us from the book of Philippians. and. <clears throat> In fact, I started thinking about it. You know, there are, there are chemical things that go on with us. There are life things that go on with us. There are seasons. There are changes. I ask the question of a lot of people just asking, you know, why, why, are, why are you unhappy or why are so many people unhappy? I've been amazed to find that for the most part, most people say, well, most people believe if they could obtain another financial position or place, they would be happier. And, I, and I've been a little amazed at the amount of people responding that way. There's anxieties, there's pressure, there's stress. Every time I ask you, what do you wanna talk about a little bit more? I do surveys, people say, I've got so much stress in my life, it's robbing me of my happiness, I'm, I'm looking for something, I'm searching for something. I, I hear that it's such a big deal that there's a new market if you want to grab some market share, there's a term called anxiety consumerism. And there's three main products right now. I find in the research there's three main products, and one of them is a, what, there's three, three that are really dominating. One is a weighted blanket. I had one of, the, one of the single ladies on our team say, Pastor, I love those. I'm like, so tell me about it. I've never used one. I don't prefer weighty, heavy stuff up on me. I don't like being hot. You know, I don't, I'm kind of like sleep, you know, with the, you know, a little more freedom. I don't want a weighted blanket up on me. She said, no, I just get up in that weighted blanket. You know, it's just like getting swaddled as a baby. You know, you just kind of get all up in there, you know, powerful, you know. Adults are now using the, the kid toy, the fidget spinner. It's in the market, so it's one of the top sellers. You gotta get a little fidget spinner to help you feel a little happier, get your mind off of things along the way. So, so there, there are people that have that one. And then adult coloring books. Come on now, this is a new deal. I mean, adult coloring books. This is great for all the Texas A&M Aggies because they're produced from there. They're made there. It's the textbooks and stuff that they just recycle. <laughs> they just, you know, so that's good. So if you're in that camp, I mean, you're happy. You're really joyous. Um, so, but <laughs> anxiety consumerism. So we're looking for some tangible product to help us feel more happy. You know, some days you just wake up and you feel a little melancholic. You just feel like, why am I not more happy? Last week, we looked at this book, this book of Philippians. As I said, Paul's writing it 
to a real group of people. If you want to understand the Bible more, you always want to look at who were the original people. What's this all about? Paul's in jail on his second missionary journey. He goes there. There's a lady, by the way, shout out to all the ladies, named Lydia, who in fact, she was converted. She came to Christ. She had a little mercantile, if you will. Maybe she was like that day's designer and she had clothing and uh, she was prospering. And what was amazing was she used it for the kingdom and she opened her house. And so this church is born and Paul moves on and they've been supporting him and they've been loving him and getting what, what he's into, the mission of Christ. And so he's writing back to them from jail. And I think it's very important important too that this group of people in the ancient world would relate a little bit again to us. You say, why is that? Not superimposing the first world of where we live on the ancient world, but because of geography and other factors that this was a, a major place, one in a Roman battle, this, this environment here, they had a bit of upward mobility. They had a little bit of accessibility to things. And one thing we have to always remember, you can be down and out, but you can also be up and out. You can have access to things that are prosperous, but still be bankrupt in your soul. You can be bankrupt in your soul. So Paul is writing to some people in this ancient world that may be some people that we could relate to. Last week he talks about circumstances and he talks to us about the fact that we're in process and everything doesn't have to be perfect. And this week he leads in this chapter with this thought. Look at Philippians 2 verse 2. He says, then make my joy complete. Make my joy complete. Remember joy being the theme word throughout this entire book. Make my joy complete. And he's, he's alluding to something here and emphasizing something that all of us have felt before, and that is that you can have partial joy. You, you can have some joy over here in this area of your life, but if this area of your life is out of whack and there's some things there that are messed up, you can have partial joy joy. And he says, here's what will complete my joy. Very important. That you, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. What is Paul saying there? You complete my joy. The people that I love, my family. He's speaking here with a, with a fatherly tone. And all of us who have children know this. You're only as happy as your unhappiest child. You're only happy if you have the people you love that are loving others well and loving each other well. And the people that are around your life, by the way, if you're away from God and you have parents who love you, the greatest joy you could ever give them is not your success in your career, but to you be one-minded with God and in the same spirit and desires that Jesus Christ has for your life. You, you can have everything at work hitting on all cylinders, but if you don't have the people that you love, if your wife and yourself or you and your husband or your spouse are the people, if you have one person that you love, not united with one purpose, with one mind, walking in unity, not whole in their soul, then Paul is saying to us, this is how you make my joy complete. And so this week, there's a vertical nature 
I always like to emphasize the fact that there's a vertical nature to our lives, this God dimension, but this God dimension of our lives is played out relationally. And this chapter is all about how joy gets completed in these horizontal relationships that we care about and we love. And so Paul emphasizes that. On Saturday night here at our Keller campus, we saw a picture of this where a dad, Matt, had been walking with some brothers and relating and connecting and then his daughter right there who's really young, who doesn't even really understand words and spelling, but in Milestone Kids, she was given some verses and she began to put those verses together and Matt has been contemplating going all in with Jesus. And I met them after the service and it was just, it was, it was amazing. And he had just this so big joy on his, it just smile on his face and life because his daughter gave him that little, little note right there. God is with you wherever you go. It's amazing the things God will use. And the moment he read that, God broke him right there in his house. And he gave his heart and life to Christ. And last night, Matt was baptized. That's complete joy. That's, that's complete joy that doesn't come from tangible things or promotions or things around your life. It's, it's a completion to joy. And so Paul says, make my joy complete. I want you to be in one spirit and one mind and I want you to walk this thing out. But then he starts telling us how. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, everybody say humility, in humility, you may want to underline that, you may want to circle that, you may want to emphasize that because that's this portion of this book, what it's giving us as how you have complete joy is you understand authentic biblical humility. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. You say, okay, this complete joy comes from humility and I believe if we were to ask all of us and we were to say, okay, what is biblical humility? There'd be a whole host of responses and different ideas of what Paul's talking about here. And he's gonna unpack it throughout the chapter for us. A lot of times when it comes to the word humility, in fact, if you look up just a standard dictionary definition of humility, then you find this idea of subservient you find this idea of, of denying and pushing oneself down, which the Bible speaks of us going down in terms of serving, but there's this idea in most people's mind that I, I have to be something that I'm not, that I can't be the full expression of who I am, that I've gotta grovel, that I've gotta somehow just totally push down all of the characteristics that are really life, that are real, and so for a lot of people, it's hard to wrap their minds around. You're like, this, this is a posture of personality that it doesn't fit with me, and so for a lot of people, they even think if I were to walk in humility, I'd be taken advantage of. Now it's easy to see in our lives when there's arrogance and there's this out of self-awareness type life, that's easy to see many times. But one that I would like to also look at as we unpack this chapter is false humility. Because a false humility is self-centeredness but it manifests itself in a different way. Pride is self-centeredness but false humility is still focusing on self as well. 
And I want you to know that false humility does not equal happiness. And if you walk out this idea of humility thinking that it's a biblical humility, but it's really a false humility that's really focused on you too, where you become passive aggressive and it doesn't matter and I don't care and okay, I'm just left out and you don't really address things with a biblical understanding of humility, your joy will not be complete. So I want us to look at the rest of the verses in the chapter because Paul, when he makes that transition word, rather do nothing out of selfish ambition, rather walk in this humility, he's given us the recipe for complete joy. So I ask this question of all of us, how do we really know if we have biblical humility? How, how do we know? It's like, man, I don't know, that seems unobtainable. That, that seems something so out there. How do I really walk in that? Well, number one, you're walking in biblical humility when your primary or our primary motivation is not selfish ambition. Our primary motivation in whatever decision, in whatever relationship, is not selfish ambition or vain conceit. He tells us that right there in the verse. Selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let's unpack this a little bit deeper, okay? Pride is easily detected, but not always easily detected by the person who's prideful. I, I'm, I'm a prideful person, said no prideful person. Never been said by a prideful person. The only way to really know if this, this, this tendency to slip into pride and arrogance is really tempered in your life is that's why God does give us relationships. Your relationships will tell you. My wife has helped me with this before. In my own mind, I'm just trying to help. I'm trying to share something. We walk away from me, she goes, you sounded like a jerk. Come on, anybody been married longer than two weeks? I thought I was helping. I thought I was giving them some good advice. And like, yeah, but you sounded arrogant. Okay, okay, I gotta... So, so, so the way you temper pride in your life is, have you asked the people around you, how prideful, how self-centered? How, how, do I, how, do I, how do I even come across in my relationships with others? Am I others focused or am I self-focused? Pride and arrogance though, and, and, and being totally self-consumed. Can I give you one little tip, just one little tip? When you talk to others, are you ever interested in what's going on in them? Do you ever ask someone else, try this little tip this week with your team, with your family, with the people that you love. If you want them to be one mind, one purpose, united in spirit, ask them, how much is this operating in my life? How, much, how prideful I am? And guess what? With your team, ask them, how can I help you? How can I help you? How could I serve you? What's going on in your world? Tell me about your wins. Tell me about your victories. Tell me about your successes. If everything that comes from you is your promotion, then you can lean toward pride and arrogance. Again, a little easier to detect. A little easier to detect. And, and not really good to focus on a lot because preaching to prideful people doesn't really work most of the time. Most of the time, pride goes before the fall. Most prideful people have to fall, have injury. They have to feel it. You can learn from revelation or tribulation, but most of the time, prideful people have to have enough tribulation and pain to be able to change. Let me tell you one that affects all of us, though. False humility. You're like, what is that? It's still self-centeredness. It's still vain conceit, 
but it manifests in a different way. Here's an example. Someone gives you a compliment. You know, your dress looks nice. Your hair looks nice. Oh, well, I mean, you know, it's just, I, I, I got it on sale. And you, you don't even know how to receive. Here's the answer. This will really help you. Thank you. Thank you. That's not about, it's not, I'm not trying to make it about me, but thank you. False humility, here's another one. Overcommitment in relationships and expectations. Trying to please everyone around you because not just to serve. Again, we should serve others, but we have a stewardship of those that we should serve. We have a stewardship of our time, our capacity. It'll rob your happiness when you try to serve others out of vain conceit to say, I wanna feel better about myself so that I can serve you. And we overcommit and we don't have the ability to really deal with situations. And I'm gonna tell you, if you live under the pressure of obligation that comes from false humility, I'm supposed to help everyone on the planet do every single thing, and you live under that expectation, let me tell you, you will find yourself dealing with a lack of joy and a completeness in joy. And here's another one, boundaries. I, I find for us, a lot of times it's hard to deal with boundaries in our lives, the expectations of your in-laws and your friends, and to be able to honestly address situations. I'm not talking about being rude or mean or arrogant or prideful, but to be able to draw boundaries, healthy boundaries. Young families, if you're gonna have joy in your home, you're gonna have to draw boundaries with everyone else's home. You're gonna have to draw boundaries with in-laws and grandparents. Sometimes it's, 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 the motives are good. I have this expectation for you. But the question you have to ask is, does God have that expectation for me? If you want unity and you want life and you want complete joy, you have to learn how to not walk in false humility. Well, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take this, this position, but really it's, it's false humility. Here's the second one. We, we don't depend on grasping or using our own advantage. Paul actually starts going into this. Look what he says, in your relationships, we should key in. We want our relationships to be healthy because our joy is more complete when our relationships are healthy. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. We talk about this, one other version talks about grasping. Did you know what? It takes humility to have a relationship with God. Let me tell you what makes God different than us. He's never had this thought, I'm them. We've had this thought. We may not say it directly, but there's many times we think, I'm smarter than God. I, we protect ourselves due to our experiences, our pain, our perspectives, our perceptions, things that we have inherited. It takes humility to have a relationship with God. These people being baptized and water baptized, look, that's a posture of humility. It takes humility to worship God. It takes humility to say, this isn't about me, this is about God, I worship you, God. It takes humility to serve God. It takes humility because what you do is you say, I'm not God, he is God, and I'm positioning myself in a posture of receiving. This is the gospel at its most basic level. We could not do enough religious stuff, we could not grasp our way, claw our way, do enough stuff to get to God, but we posture ourselves and receive by grace. We 
receive it from him. We receive everything that we have from him. We posture ourselves in a position of humility. That's the way you start your relationship with God. I receive you, Jesus. I receive the finished work of the cross. I receive, I know why the cross, because you paid something I couldn't pay. I receive the life that raised you from the dead. I receive it. So I posture myself like this to start my relationship with God. And that's how you have your relationships with others. The greatest thing in my life, the greatest things in my life have come from the things God gave me, not the things I grab. When you're a grasper, I, it's, I, I prayed about this this week. How do I explain this, you know? A grasper. Have you ever seen someone, you're just like, you're trying too hard. We all see them in the meeting, grasping for authority, grasping for position, grasping for their next place, grasping for promotion. Social media has killed this. You can look at someone's profile and go, they're a grasper. They're a grasper. They're grasping, grasping. I'm important. Like me, like me, like me. Ah. No, no, we don't like that. Because no one likes a grasper, because a grasper's like, <sighs> what about just steward? Ask yourself this question. I said it last week. You want more influence with people. How much influence do you have with God? When's the, when's the last time you obeyed God in an area that pained you? How humble are you being with God? How humble are you being with Him? And grasping, here's, here's another thing about grasping. Everything you grasp to get, when you get it, you think it'll bring you joy and you just go, whoa. But the things you receive from God, wow, I know that came from your hand. I didn't grab it out of your hand. It came from your hand to me. Boom, gratefulness, thankfulness. That's the humble posture that Paul's talking about here. We receive it from them. Here's number three. Our speech, I'm I'm warning you, Paul starts getting real strong here. This one's tough. Our speech is not dominated by grumbling or arguing. Look what he says here in verse 14. Do everything, wow, that's convicting. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. And it's really interesting what he says. So that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Look what he says here. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You're like, how do I know if I have authentic humility? How much do you grumble? How critical are you? No one wants to be around. I mean, there's a right time to process. Man, I'm going through a difficult time. Can you talk? Make sure you're processing in the right place. There's a good place to process. Man, I'm just a little frustrated. Here's what's going on. But if your speech, your speech, James talks about the tongue. If your speech is dominated by negativity, criticism, grumbling, if you're not, 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 not that there's not a time to hash some things out or to dialogue about what's going on or speak the truth in love, but if you're a, get this, argumentative person, if you're an argumentative person, then the place that you are on that team, the place of your home, the relationships around you. By the way, humility is contagious. False humility is contagious. 
And negativity and grumbling and arguing and complaining is contagious. Companies today have now in the hiring process hubris quotients. You go, what's hubris? Pride. Hubris measurements. By the way, if that's what you're responsible for, you should always measure the pride level. Not that they're not saying, here's who I am. And the Bible's not against, we're gonna talk about it next week, press on toward the goal. The Bible is not against effectively stewarding your gift and pressing forward in God. But by the way, one thing I've learned, high performers, they don't even know sometimes that they're high performers. They don't have to tell you they're a high performer. They don't have to push their agenda. Most of the time, they just perform really well. And so many times, that's one of the things, it's a quotient, because why? It's, it's contagious, and it gets in a culture. Paul's talking about culture here, fatherly. Hey, here's what'll make my joy complete. And, and there's some scholars who believe, in fact, we're gonna look at the later chapters, that there was some schism starting to develop among this group that Paul loved. And so he's telling them, let me tell you how to kill the fighting. Let me tell you how to kill the disunity in the team. Let me tell you how to kill the disunity in the church. Let me tell you how to kill the disunity in your home and your family. This, how you talk, affects it in a great, great way. I know myself, I've been guilty of the things I'm talking about here. I've also had false humility where I love people and so one of the maturing areas for me has been learning how to deal with expectations and situations and, and, and deal with it along the way. And I have a phrase that I use. I use it with my home. I use it with our, our team and staff here. I talk about a lot of times that one of the tests of you having complete joy is taking the humble road sometimes. I wanna make it real, real what Paul's saying. Rather, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, Sometimes you have to take the humble road. And there's a decision, by the way. This is a choice, and it's a choice. By the way, we gravitate toward selfish ambition. We gravitate toward vain conceit. We gravitate, I'll tell you, it's not easy. We gravitate toward grumbling and arguing. It'll just jump on you if you're living real life. But I promise you this week or right now, there's a situation in your life where taking the humble road would one, bring honor and pleasure to God, which would bring favor from him in your life, and it would also bring healing to some situations around your life. But you have a choice to make. Everyone takes the selfish road, but you're gonna come to that moment, and by God's grace, he can help you take the humble road. In your, in your marriage, there are gonna be times where there's miscommunication and challenges and problems. And a lot of times we just wanna avoid it, avoid it, avoid it. But sitting down and saying, I'm sorry, I wanna, I wanna commute, I didn't want to come across that way. Can, I, can we sit down and talk? Take the humble road. You can win the argument and lose the joy. You can win the argument but lose the joy. See, joy is what you lose when you win the argument. When you win that, you win the temporary battle, but what you lose is the complete joy. With your children, I wanna to talk to some of you that have younger children too, by the way. As your children grow up, you have humility moments. You, 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 you can kind of direct their lives here, but even as they grow up, one of the things, Paul again, speaking here from a fatherly perspective, 
What makes a parent's joy complete is actually being able to have a relationship with their children as they get older. I heard someone tell me recently, I really grabbed this as my own. They said, look, as your children get older, don't refer to them as adult children. There's no such thing as adult children. They're adults. And if you're gonna have a relationship with your adults that you raised in your house, there'll be humility moments. Because they're gonna come to you and say, you hurt me, you did this. By the way, we all get in pride and miss it. and We have good intentions sometimes. And, and here's, here's, here's the prideful, selfish route. I changed your diaper. Don't talk to me like that. Now, children, there's a right way to approach. I changed your diaper. What do you mean? You were a knucklehead. You were, down, you were headed down the wrong road. But how you respond in those moments, talk to me. Tell me, hey, hey, I'm sorry. I, I didn't understand. Let's, let's work this out. If you posture yourself in humility, you can have that relationship long term. I want to tell you, anyone who leads people, we should declare war on positional leadership in our work lives. Positional leadership, if you have to start with, I'm your boss, you've lost the battle. But just posturing yourself with a little self-awareness to go, hey, I'm here to serve you. How can I help you? What's going on in your life? Hey, I was wrong when I handled that this way. Can give you so much more influence. I'm gonna touch a real sticky one. Online. When someone attacks you online, online has given everyone a platform. It has given dysfunctional people a place to say dysfunctional stuff. Used to, nobody listened to those people, but now they have a platform to say stupid stuff. And I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna hit a moment where somebody online attacks you, criticizes you. Take the humble route. And what I do for 20 plus years, I've had people attack me, criticize me. I've had moments personally. I, I can remember specific moments where someone, would, for something that I didn't even really have anything to do, attack me, say things about my family. And I can remember along the way, the Holy Spirit. I remember one conversation, which was heavy. And as this person was saying it to me, and I'm not saying this is because I'm somebody great, this is God, this is God working. The Holy Spirit saying, this isn't about them, Jeff. This is about you. Take the humble route. And if you're gonna have joy that's complete over a long period of time, guess what? There are certain things you just go, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Take the humble route. By the way, when you respond in arrogance to a critical person, everybody looks at you and says, you're arrogant. So we just have to take the humble route. Why do I care about this so much? Because I want your joy to be complete. And I think about this verse, and I've been praying this verse over you this week. James says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's sometimes in our life we think, the devil's opposing me. The devil's attacking my marriage. The devil's attacking my relationship with my kids. The devil's attacking my work life. I'm never being promoted. No one wants to talk to me. No one wants to be around me. Maybe it's grumbling. Maybe it's argumentative. God opposes. Sometimes God goes, I'm just gonna hold this thing right here for a little bit because I wanna work on this humility thing in you. I'm just gonna hold it right there. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
God, I wanna humble myself. This week we all have an opportunity or an area of our life we go, you know what? I'm gonna take the humble route. I'm gonna take the humble road. I want you to bow your heads with me. There's some of you here, even to have a relationship with Jesus takes humility. What would people say? I don't know if I can live up to it. I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do it. That's all thinking about you. And so it takes humility even to say yes to Jesus. Wherever you are, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you. He will favor you. So if you're here and you say, look, I'm, I'm not in a right relationship with Jesus, just humble yourself and say, Jesus, I'm broken. I've missed the mark. I need you. So I say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Come into my life. I wanna have a relationship with you. Come into my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior. If you prayed that, I'm gonna ask you to let us know. Maybe come to to what we call 101, which is a first step. I'd love to meet you. Maybe come forward at the end of the service. Let us know so we can help you in that walk with Jesus. But second of all, Lord, I pray right now that you'd make our joy complete, that you'd complete some things. There's pain, there's mess, there's problems in relationships, yet it's the area that makes our joy complete. Lord, I pray for all of us, you'd show us a way we can take the humble road, not the selfish road, the humble road. Posture ourselves as learners, as life givers, not as graspers, not as selfishly ambitious people. Lord, help us to to speak with a humility. Put, Put out the fire of grumbling and arguing in our lives, Lord, so that we can be humble, so that we would be a vessel in your hands that you could use. I pray that for every single one of us in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com.